Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. This is Sound and Vision on KEXP. So 2020 brought a national conversation around race in America. And it's a subject musician and KEXP Audio Oasis host Eva Walker has been talking about with her friend and fellow musician Ronnie Weatherby of the band Champagne Honeybee. I went to visit an old family friend I hadn't seen in a while He saw the sadness on my face there once was a smile. Eva recently chatted with Ronnie to talk about how race has impacted her life and her music. conversations, and, and this is stuff we've talked about, it's mainly been black and white, and justifiably it's been black and white. However, I am interested in broadening that to other brown voices. I don't think, I think there's a demographic missing in these conversations. And you are an Indian woman, and you were adopted right. into a white family. And I kind of want you to just first start off with talking about who you are, uh, where you came from and um, your life growing up uh, briefly. Well, it is correct. I am an East Indian woman. I was adopted into an American family, a Caucasian American family, as an infant. And I grew up in Snohomish, Washington, so a little north of Seattle. But I've lived in Washington my whole life. And I was adopted by a single mother. She adopted myself and my sister. My sister is also from India. We were both born in Calcutta and adopted into this family in Snohomish. And at that time, there were not very many minorities in Snohomish. At that time, I don't know, race was an interesting thing because I obviously noticed that I was a darker shade than my mom and, you know, that my sister and I and, and... you know, we were both Indian people, but I guess I never really thought of it as a problem when I was a child until I started going to school. <laughs> and that's when, that's when suddenly I was hearing things like, my dad says, we don't like brown people, or I can't play with you because you're brown. Or, you know, I had kids tease me and say, that I was dirty, and that's why my face is brown, was because I was dirty, and all of that broke my little heart. I'm already a very sensitive person. I was a very (laughs) sensitive child, as I'm sure you can imagine, and that just broke my heart. I cried and cried, and, you know, my mom was very loving, very supportive. I had, thankfully, some very supportive adults in my life, but at the same time, it was still hard to convey that hurt to someone who couldn't understand it themselves. So I'd say a real turning point for me was in first grade. I had a teacher, Mrs. Tucker, um, in first grade, who was a beautiful, strong African-American woman. 
and she helped to bolster my confidence in myself as a brown person, uh, you know, as a, a woman. But she was such a blessing to my life as far as showing me success and education and poise and class and brown skin. You know, I needed that example in my life. This is something that so many people I grew up with don't understand the importance of representation because, because they haven't had to deal with that. It hasn't been a problem for them, most likely. Yeah. And, and Ronnie, you, you know, you, we've talked a lot about like, just in our conversations about heroes and influences, and you have a lot of black female heroes, which um, it's awesome. And I want to talk about like your music because you kind of describe it sometimes as like as soul kind of ukulele music. And so there's this black influence that you have shared that you, that you have. Head into the cafe down the And as an Indian woman, how has the black influence on your music helped you to be able to express yourself as an Indian woman? I mean, I will make no bones about it. Black American music, my, my music would not exist without black American music, like period. In fact, American music wouldn't exist without black music. Yeah, that's true. Um, all the music that's popular now in the U.S. was influenced by black musicians and innovators. So my music would not exist without jazz, without blues, without soul music. You know, all of those elements totally made me the musician I am today, you know, from loving Gladys Knight when I was a kid. He's leaving, leaving. Oh, that midnight train to Georgia. Stevie Wonder. I was madly obsessed with Prince from my teen years on, and he's still my favorite. I feel that those influences really got me ready for being a solo artist one day. So I proclaim loud and proud that, you know, if not for black music, I wouldn't be who I am and the musician and and person I am today. And my heart is too cold to sing a love song tonight. And you got a chance, uh, was it... Two years ago or three years ago, you went you went to India. How long ago was that? Yes, actually, I, I can't believe it. The time has been flying, but it's been almost three years now. It was the three, winter. Almost three years. Almost. It's, it was the winter of 2018, so January and February of 2018. And you documented that experience. Uh, <laughs> you showed the orphanage where you lived the first couple months of your life, right? right. And then you mm. visited some of the, uh, the places there and... I just kind of want you to kind of quickly elaborate on that experience and that trip, but also like being an Indian woman going to, (laughs) you know, going to back to India, like how much of that did you take home with you and how much of that is in your music now prior to going to India? You know, I, I have to say it it literally felt like this, pilgrimage that I had to make. It it wasn't really a question as to, oh, if I ever go back to India, in my soul, I knew I had 
to go back at some point because I don't know. I just living here while this is home, there are certain things that I can't do. I can't just drive past the hospital where I was born. I don't know the doctor who delivered me. You know, I, I, there are just so many things that I think a lot of people take for granted that might not seem like a big deal, but when it's completely missing from your life, it, it is kind of a big deal. Um, so I wanted to go back to where I was born. I wanted to walk the same streets that maybe my ancestors walked. You know, I wanted to see the orphanage, which unfortunately it's, it's no longer open. Like I couldn't go in or anything. Um, but just to see the building was really moving for me. Uh, this trip was just, it was kind of magical for lack of a better word. I know it sounds kind of cheesy, but I, uh, thankfully, I had some friends. My friends Chris and Kyle were living in my birth city at the time for a very short window of time. So it was one of those things where it's like, okay, if I'm going to go and have someone escort me all around town, I have to go now. Yeah, so I planned it on a very kind of short time frame, but my friends really facilitated a wonderful trip that included a performance at the American Center through the U.S. Consulate, and I had an audience. It was amazing. I, Eva, I have to tell you, <laughs> It was surreal having people come to see me, and they didn't know me. I hadn't been there for 35 years, but for them to be so excited to see me, and the biggest thing was they were so proud of me. Wow. You know, they're like, you're a hometown girl, and you're back, and look at you, and you sound so great, and, and we're just so proud of you. I mean, it brought me to tears just, you know, it almost brings me to tears now just thinking about how proud they were of me. And how warm and loving and open they were to me, even though I hadn't been back since I was an itty bitty baby. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was like two months old when I left, but they were so welcoming. And that right there made it feel like home in a way. You've been in this country most of your life and into a family that, you know, doesn't look like you. And to go back to the country where you know, potentially everyone looks like you, right? Like, you know, everyone's brown. Yeah. And, and and I mean, I thought it was magical just going to New Orleans. Like, I see black people in Seattle. I see them here. But, I mean, I just thought it was magical going to New Orleans because my family had always talked about it. They were all from there. And I kept hearing things about New Orleans. I was like, I have to get back there. That felt like right. my homeland, you know? That's your, it's so your roots. I went there, and I freaked out. I was like, I can't believe I'm actually here. I've heard stories about it. I, I mean, I can't believe it. So, I mean, on another level, being an adoptee, too, and, and just being in a completely different country and seeing more people who identify with you. I mean, that's incredible. Uh, I mean, it really was. <laughs> and, and we've talked about this. I remember you saying something that really stuck out to me, which it stuck out to me because I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't have that experience. And I've never thought about that. When you said, you know, I wish I had the experience and the privilege of growing up in a family where we all identified the same in, in race, like race wise, I'm paraphrasing how you said it. You said it a lot better <laughs> than I'm saying it. Um, I think, I think I was saying that, um, you know, as far as the struggles, as far as, you know, the harassment or the teasing or, you know, the, the rejection that I faced due to race, it's, it's not quite the same when the rest of your family doesn't understand that Yeah, to grow up without that and to not really have anyone I could talk to. That was really hard. Um, yeah. Not only 
not have the answers, but not even really know how to ask the questions. Yeah. Uh, that was difficult. Looking back, sure, maybe I could have opened up about it more to my mom or other people. But like I said, I just didn't think that they would understand. Not yeah. at the level I needed them to understand. And I know that all sounds super cryptic, but... You know, if you know, if you know, you know, you know, absolutely. <laughs> you know? I mean, I have I can say I had the privilege of being able to talk to my black mother or my black mm-hmm. grandparents about experiences I had or my black siblings or my black cousins or, you know, like having that resource and thinking about it that way. It does feel like a privilege. And so when you brought that up, I was like, holy whoa, I never thought about that. And so that's why that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you. You have this perspective that I feel like needs more, needs to be amplified more, you know? And uh, before I move on to the next thing, I do want to know that trip to India, like post-India, how did that, has that influenced your music? Did you bring any of the musical influence or just the experience and, and add and adopt that into your, into your music? I did a little bit. Um, I have a full length album that I've been working on for, many years now I know I I keep telling you oh I'll get it to you but <laughs> it's just especially with COVID now it's slowed down production but um I do have a new album that I'm working on and the opening track I'm featuring some sounds and beats that are directly from India bringing those sounds of my homeland into the album I feel makes it more of an accurate depiction of my story So you have a new song. Is it out yet? It's uh, Where Can I Run, right? Yes. I actually, I did release it on Bandcamp already. So it is out. It's called Where Can I Run? Where can I run to? The song meant so much to me. I, I really poured out my feelings that I'd been struggling with during this can you pandemic. kind of elaborate on that? Sure. I mean, I... Yes. Yeah, so this song, Where Can I Run? The the chorus is pretty simple. It's, you know, where can I run to? Be strong when I don't want to. Where can I run? It, that's very simple. But in the verses, I thought, okay, I need to really bring it. I need to just pour out my feelings, just get this off my chest. And I talk about, you know, not feeling safe in my hometown because not only are there a lot of people who are kind of anti-maskers, they think COVID is a hoax, And on top of that, there is a very dark streak of white supremacy as well. And it was very blatant and very, you know, out in the open during, you know, the BLM protests and things. I poured a lot of that out into the song, calling out, you know, people who don't think COVID is a problem, people who don't think that the racism is a problem, because those bystanders are also very dangerous. The people who are making the excuses. The people who, maybe they don't do racist things, but they're not anti-racist. There's a big Mm -hmm. difference between just not Mm -hmm. doing racist activities, not making comments, not making jokes, but standing by and letting it happen. Yeah, And when I see people who should know better when they're doing that, I feel unsafe. And so 
So I poured that out in a song and I thought, and I, I remember telling you, I was nervous to release it. I thought, you know, I'm calling out people who, you know, are in my hometown still and who are, shoot, even people in my own family. I'm calling, I'm calling out this kind of behavior because it makes me feel unwelcome and unsafe and unsupported. And I want these areas to be safe and welcoming for everyone. I don't want extra. That's the thing about equality. We don't want extra. We just want to be there. You know, we want to be accepted and safe. A sickness has been going round. I don't feel safe in my hometown. Can't pretend that everything is cool. My nightmares are coming true. has helped you to be able to amplify your own story as an Indian woman um, here in America. It actually has. I feel like maybe some people are listening to me who maybe in the past haven't or they just had no idea. And it's not because they're a bad person. It's just because it's just something that they never thought about before. And because I really didn't talk about race and my feelings much when I was in high school and still living in Snohomish because, you know, like I said earlier, I didn't feel like I would have the support that I'd need to be that brave. And so I, I do think that race coming up so much now I I do feel stronger in sharing I mean honestly Eva I don't think we would be having this conversation you know to be aired on the radio we wouldn't be having this conversation five years ago most yeah. likely you know I don't think I would be brave enough I think I'd still be in that like you know I I, I want people to like me you know kind of thing mm -hmm. and where it's like now I'll be honest if people decide that they don't want to listen to my music because of my message they are free to go. They really are because yeah. I'm not going to be silent anymore. And I, and honestly, I feel more empowered now that I've released that song and I have more songs on the way that are kind of in a similar vein. And now I feel like the people who really should be there, they're, they're there, you know, they're listening and they're supporting. That was Ronnie Weatherby of the Seattle-based band Champagne Honeybee talking about race, identity, and music with musician and KEXP Audio Oasis host Eva Walker. And that was Sound and Vision. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps that algorithm game so more people can discover that this podcast exists. And if you have the means, please consider a one-time $20 donation to support this show. You can give at kexp.org slash sound. And one more thing. As we wrap up 2020, I want to know how to serve you better 
next year in 2021. So please let me know what were your favorite Sound and Vision stories or interviews you heard this year on this podcast, what stuck with you, or let me know what music-related stories, interviews, or issues you'd like to hear about in 2021. You can email me at soundandvision at kexp.org. But most of all, thanks for listening.